continue our series in Matthew chapter 5. If you like, take your Bibles and turn there. Matthew chapter uh, number 5. Matthew chapter number 5. Again, it's good to, to be in God's house. I tell you, I enjoy getting to come here, get to be here. I think it's a privilege to get any chance we can. Take this book, open it up, see what God says and apply it to our lives today. And uh, we've been looking at a lot of things in these Beatitudes and and the idea of what did Jesus say. Our series is on the S- Sermon on the Mount, but I guess if there is a title, it's Jesus Said. And looking at what Jesus has said, I encourage you uh, to look through these. And, and this is a good good opportunity to for us to really just dive in to what some of these say here. If you're like me, I've, I've mentioned each week that uh, the Beatitudes are normally something I just read through quickly. I didn't necessarily stop and take the meaning of them. And I tell you, I personally really enjoy diving into what the Bible says here and what Jesus is teaching. And again, I like to read the first 10 verses like we have each week. And uh, we've been, there's a total of eight Beatitudes that you get here. We're on number seven today. But I'd like for us to look in Matthew chapter number five, beginning in verse number one. We're going to read verses one through ten. It says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, or when he sat down, his disciples came unto him. And he, being Jesus, opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this morning, uh, we're going to be looking at verse number 9, talking about peacemakers. And as we've done the last few weeks, I encourage you, I want us to read this verse aloud together, if you would. Matthew 5, verse 9. Ready? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Lord, as we come to you this morning. Lord, thank you so much for your grace. Lord, it's just overwhelming as we just got through singing about God's grace. Lord, thank you it's greater than all our sin. Thank you, Lord, it's greater than my sin personally. Lord, as the girl sang a little while ago, our chains are gone, we've been set free. God, thank you so much for the freedom that comes in Christ and salvation. Lord, I just thank you for the time that we can be together today as a group of people, Lord, as believers. And Lord, maybe some here today that aren't believers, that we can take your word. And Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things out of thy law. Lord, I pray you would take me as your vessel. Lord, forgive me of my sins and where I fail you. Lord, make me usable. And then, Lord, I ask if you make me usable, Lord, use me in a way that would please you today. Thank you so much, God, for, for all that you are. Thank you for being a wonderful, a merciful Savior. And Lord, if someone here today, whether they've been in church all their life or whether they, they're new at all to this thing we call church, and they don't know you as their Lord and Savior, may today be the day they see your grace, they see your salvation, and they trust it and have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you so much that you desire to hear our prayer. And our prayer, Lord, today is that you would use these next few moments 
to help establish the way we live the rest of our lives. Thank you for Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. As we've been looking at the Beatitudes, we've been saying that uh, Jesus is obviously speaking to his disciples, but in speaking to his disciples, it says that the multitudes were coming around him and seeing his uh, miracles and hearing his teachings. And, and I like to call the Sermon on the Mount the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest uh, preacher that ever lived. And so when you see this passage of Scripture and Jesus is teaching and there's Pharisees there and, and there's uh, regular people there, townspeople, and then there's disciples there, people are just falling around. And remember, the Pharisees had this, this idea, distinction of this, that righteousness comes from the outward acts. It doesn't matter what the inside of the heart looks like. And Jesus is pretty much shattering all of that because we looked at last week, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And as we looked at in Scripture where Jesus says is that you don't just worry about the outward part of the cup, but clean the inside of the cup. Because who cares if the outward part of a cup is clean? The outward part of the bottom part of the plate is clean. If the part where the substance goes in is defiled, then it doesn't matter. It won't accomplish its purpose. And we looked at the term beatitude means perfect blessedness. And that word blessed or blessedness, if you would, means happy or happiness. And so Jesus is teaching here in these Beatitudes, he's telling us as believers how we can be perfectly or completely happy. As I've been sharing each week, some of us are happy for moments. Some of us get a little more fortunate. We're happy for a day. We're happy for uh, weeks or maybe even months. Even every now and then we're happy for a year. But Jesus is teaching about a happiness that doesn't have to go away. He's talking about a nature. He's talking about a spirit of being perfectly happy in the things that you face as a believer. And I enjoy looking at these things and and been studying these things. And can I tell you, as we all know, there's always something on your plate that can steal your happiness. You say, Brother Phil, I walked out here last Sunday. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And I want to see God in everything that I faced. And I wanted to be pure in my heart. But can I tell you, Brother Phil, there's so many things that hit my life this week that just stole my happiness away. That's every day we live. Every moment you live, there's going to be something that comes in your life that can Steal your happiness. But can I tell you, in contrast to the Pharisees, happiness doesn't go from the outside in. Happiness, true happiness, goes from the inside out. And you've ever noticed sometimes, like in my life, I've noticed this, that the more I focus on myself, the less happy I am. The more I'm concerned with just my life and my things and and what involves me, the less happy I am. But when I get my eyes on Christ, when I get my eyes on others, my life changes a little bit. And as God's children, and as some of the things that we see here, Jesus is teaching again on these Beatitudes, but it's beautiful to see how these Beatitudes build on one another. As I mentioned each week, you've got eight Beatitudes. You have a group, two groups. You have a group of four and another group of four. That first group of four that we read about beginning in verse uh, number three talks about being poor in spirit. They that mourn is those that are meek and those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Jesus is teaching this mentality. You have to be empty of self if you're ever going to be completely happy. You've got to be empty of yourself. And in my life, when my happiness goes out the window, my joy goes out the window, it's honestly I've got too much of myself being the determining factor of whether or not I'm happy. What I do, what I touch, what happens to me. I love how we study the poor in spirit, that humbleness and and the idea of preferring and honor, preferring one another. And then in verse number four, it talks about blessed are they that mourn. Mourn is not just talking about crying at the drop of a hat. 
You know, some of you uh, ladies and guys, you can watch a sad movie or read a sad book, and you can cry, you know, if a, a cat falls out of a tree. You know, it's not talking about being, you know, sappy and crying over an instant. What it's talking about this is mourning over your sin. Is that when you sin, it grieves you. When you do wrong and your relationship with God is skewed, is that it grieves you and desires in your heart. The Holy Spirit says, let's get right with God. Not out of fear, out of love. Out of grace and, and the mentality of mourning over your sin and mourning over the sins of your family and mourning over the sins of your co-workers and your community and your church and, and just not the idea that you're better than them, but it bothers you. Let me just encourage you or remind you or ask you this question if you would. The way that you lived this, the way you lived your life this week in ways that didn't please God, because we all, <laughs> I would dare say all displeased God at least in some way we lived this week. Did it bother you? Did it bother you? And that's what he says, blessed are they that mourn. But he goes on to say, blessed are the meek. And, and that mentality doesn't mean you're just a quiet person. That mentality means that you can take what comes at you, and instead of being like a vase that's fragile, that can be cracked and broken very easily, it's got the punching bag mentality, meaning you can absorb it, you can absorb the hit, you can absorb it, and not with a desire to defend yourself and the mentality of trying to justify yourself. And then we ended that part of the uh, first group. Saying, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. And can I tell you, I will never desire righteousness in my life until I'm empty of myself. You'll never truly desire the righteousness that God teaches about in Scripture until you're empty of your own righteousness, your own desires, your own goals, and those things there. And then we looked at being filled with the Spirit. But when we're filled with the Spirit and when we're filled with the righteousness of God, it starts to overflow in these next four that we looked at. A couple weeks ago, we said, blessed are the merciful... For they shall obtain mercy. We looked at blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. Can I tell you, if we don't obtain mercy, we receive judgment. You say, Brother Phil, who really cares blessed are the merciful? Well, I care about blessed are the merciful because if I don't receive mercy, if I don't obtain mercy from God, I'm going to be judged by God. You say, Phil, you're a Christian. You're on your way to heaven. That doesn't mean that I will not do things in this life that God will not bring chastening and God will not bring judgment and God will not bring things in my life to get my attention, to get me back in line. And when I look at this, and, and, and the idea of, of understanding this is that if I go on to the next passage where it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Well, if I don't see God in my life, then I've got a miserable life without assurance in my life and without some things in my life. And I tell you, this week that's really helped me after studying Blessed are uh, the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I tell you, it's awesome to be able to look at the same problems, the same circumstance and pressures and say, I don't understand it. I don't like it. I'm not enjoying it. But God, I can see your hand working in it. But I can see you in this and what you're doing. And all these are descriptions. All these things are descriptions as believers, how we can live as a believer. And so we come to this one where it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. So all these descriptions promised, but they're only promised to the merciful. They're only promised to the pure in heart. They're only promised to the peacemakers. Say, Brother Phil, I want to see God in my problems. Brother Phil, I want, I want to obtain mercy. Brother Phil, I want to be called a children of God. I want other people to recognize me as a child of God. Well, it only comes to those that are merciful. It only comes to those that are pure in heart. It only comes to the peacemakers. Now, let me start off by saying this. It doesn't say, blessed are the peaceful. It does not say, blessed are the peaceable. It says, blessed are the peacemakers. 
that means that you are the one that's instigating peace in the midst of strife. You're the one that's instigating. You're the one trying to bridge that gap, if you would. You say, Brother Phil, people come to me with problems all the time. People come at me, and I just sit there and smile, and I just take it. You know, and that's great. It's great to be peaceable. Sometimes that's not possible. But the Word of God says here, Blessed are they that are peacemakers. They look to end the strife. They look to end the misery. They look to end the confrontation, if you would. And when I see these Beatitudes, and I see these basically like links on a chain, if you would, how they connect together, mercy and pure in heart and peacemaking, when I see all these things together, there's one particular thing I think Christ is crying out here to his disciples, which I think I need as well. And I think this mentality is this, get a new heart. Have the right kind of heart. Become a new person. Have a clean heart. And I have in my notes this morning this, and I feel it for myself and for you, is that I want you to understand something this morning, that the Beatitudes are not optional to the believer. A lot of us treat, and I say us because I mean me, we treat the Christian life like the buffet. I like a little bit of that today. I ain't really feeling that today. That doesn't look real good today. I think that's going to taste bad today. So I don't want that. But can I encourage you this morning that these are not just suggestions. This is not a sermon that is a series of suggestions of how to make the world a better place. A lot of us, I think, read these things and say, oh, this will just help me make my life better. No, what Jesus is describing is your spiritual journey. And this sermon is a message from God to urge you to get on the pathway and stay on the pathway so that when people look at your life and the way you live, they can look at you by the way you lived your life this next week and say, they're a son of God. They're a child of God. They're a daughter of God. That they are a believer. And we want that in this life. But I tell you, we want it in the life to come too. Can I tell you what's at stake this morning? If, if you're on the narrow path, as the Bible teaches, you know, the straight and narrow, as we like to call it. If you're on the narrow path, which leads to life, my purpose today for this message is this for you. Stay on the path. You say, Brother Phil, I'm trying to stay on the path. I'm trying to be merciful. I'm trying to be a peacemaker. I'm really struggling right now because there's people and problems in my life that are testing every bit of that. Can I encourage you today? The purpose of this message is for you is to stay on the path. Stay on it. Brother Phil, I want to hop off of it. Don't hop off of it. Brother Phil, I want to go the other direction. Can I encourage you today? My mentality, I exhort you today, is do not look at this message as a believer as something you can take or not take. It's my personality or it's not my personality. Because that's not what Jesus is teaching. But maybe you're here today and as the Bible talks about the straight and narrow, maybe you're on the broad way that leads to destruction. My purpose today and my message today is this, that you'll get on the narrow path. That you'll come to Christ and you'll see him as your Lord and Savior. And you'll start going down life that can fulfill you in this life with perfect happiness. Because you see here, obedience is not an option. It's kind of like your children. You ever ask your children to do something, but in reality, you're really not asking them. Hey, I want you to do this. Will you do this for me, please? You're not doing it, and they say, all right, now, now this morning, I'd like for you to, uh, to, to make your bed and brush your teeth, okay? I, will you break, make your bed and brush your teeth? And you're not really saying that like, uh, now, if you don't, I don't want to make my bed and brush your teeth. Okay, good, that's one to ask. I mean, it's going to make your life better. I mean, your, your breath is not going to kill us all, you know, and, 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 you know, your bed will look a lot better in case company comes over, and it's always nicer to get into a, a made-up bed than it is a bed with the sheets scattered to the four corners of the earth, and, you know, and it's just, it's just nice to do that, but that's purely up to you. It's optional. I'm just a parent. That's all I am. 
See, it's the same mentality with Jesus, because just like you as a parent, when you ask your child, child to do something, you're kind of expecting obedience, right? So when Jesus is saying here, blessed are the peacemakers, he's not, get, he's not up to discussion. He's saying, I'm telling you to do it. I'm asking you to do it because I'm asking you to do it with doing it in the right heart and the right attitude and the right love. I could wake up tomorrow morning, go into my boy's room, kick the door open and say, thus saith your father of 175 Hodges Lake Road of Gordon, Georgia, the Lord of the manor. Make thou bed, brush thou teeth, and get in the living room and, and let's start school. I can do that. Now, I think they're going to jump up. Oh, the grace of our father. The love and mercy of our earthly father. I desire to please you. I don't fear you. I'm totally doing this out of love for you. No. They're probably going to wonder what's wrong with me first. But they're going to look at me and say, well, why, why is he acting like that? Can I tell you, Jesus is giving, even though it comes in a question, even though it comes in a statement, if you would. He is asking us to do it. But a lot of us have to remember that obedience to God is not optional. It's not what you feel like. Can I tell you today that myself and yourself alike, we either treat God and God's word as what God commands us to do and what God desires us to do for our benefit. By the way, we forget that sometimes. Or do we look at what God tells us to do in his word as something optional? Well, if I'm feeling it, you're either governed today by one of two things. You're either governed by the word of God or you're governed by your feelings. Can I tell you, your feelings will deceive you. We looked at last week about being pure in heart. What does the Bible say in Jeremiah? The heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? But this mentality of, of the idea of being a peacemaker. So when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God, he's not telling us how to become a son of God. He's not telling us how to do that. Jesus is simply saying that because you are a son of God, you need to resemble that and you need to be, in fact, a peacemaker. People who are peacemakers will recognize as the sons of God at the time of judgment and will be welcomed into the Father's house. You have to remember in verse number 9, you say, well, what does it mean, blessed are the peacemakers? You have to remember something about the Jews. Jesus is talking to a group of people right now that are oppressed by the Romans. Jesus is not talking to a people that are ruling themselves. The Romans right now have them under Roman rule, have them under Roman law. They can't do anything without Roman permission. At any moment, their rights can be taken away like that just by the drop of a hat. And if they didn't like it, they ain't got a voice to go up to Washington and say something. They lose their life like that. They didn't have rights. They were oppressed in every way you can think about it, taxed beyond measure, treated as if they were nothing more than just animals. And Jesus looks at them and says, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And when you see this, the Jews in their life at the moment, everything that they had in their life, they had to fight for it. You feel like that in your life sometimes? Everything you've got in your life, you've been having to duke and swing and fight and punch and bite and do everything you got to do to make you feel that way. But can I tell you, Jesus is teaching here, there's a new way to have joy. There's a new way to have happiness, and they're not fighting all the time for it. He says it's not by getting back at people. You get joy by getting along with people. You get joy by getting along with people. Could it be that maybe you're here today and your misery comes from the fact that you just don't know how to get along with people? Or let's take it a step further. You won't. 
and you don't have joy in your life because you refuse to have peace with, with that or with that person. You live your life with drama. You live your life with conflict. There's always an enemy. There's always a disturbance. There's always an issue. There's always a problem. You ever meet that person that it doesn't matter how good things are, there's always another problem. There's always another issue. There's always something. They never seem to have joy and happiness. And I understand we all endure things in our life. I'm not belittling what you may be going through. But can I tell you, you can't have peace in what you're going through. And part of that is being a peacemaker. Jesus is teaching that people with issues, which is all of us, we're not happy unless we make peace. Let me ask you a question this morning before we really dive into a lot of this. Do you want to be a peacemaker? Do you want to be a peacemaker? I ain't saying do you want to be peaceable. Do you not saying do you want to just be like, "Ah, I kind of just deal with stuff. But do you desire to be a peacemaker? Do you desire that in your life? Do you desire it in your heart? Because as the Bible says here, and I asked you this question for you to think about, if the Bible says blessed are the peacemakers, this is a little bit of philology here, okay? I don't have this in the next part of the verse. But if Jesus says blessed are the peacemakers, I wonder, could I assume the next part? Cursed are the troublemakers. Just wonder. I don't have a verse right there on that. It's not the remaining part of the verse, but I kind of wonder. If he says, blessed, how perfectly happy are the peacemakers, could it be how cursed and how unhappy and how unjoyful are those that look for trouble and those that make it? But I want us to see some things this morning and the idea of seeking to live peaceably. Because can I tell you something? In my nature, no one's nature is desire to be peaceably. You ever look at somebody and say, man, they're just such a peaceable person. It is not in the nature of any human being on the face of this earth on their own to be a peaceable person. Every one of us still has a sin nature, a flesh that lives inside of us that desires to be right, desires to be in control at any cost. We all have that. And what do you do? You have to remember your salvation as it talks about in Titus chapter 3, verse 3. We have to avert from conflict. We have to stay away from some things. I mean, sometimes we just have to not look or crave the opportunity to argue or rehash. You ever sometimes run into somebody and you're just like, man, they just, every time you're around, they want to relive misery. They want to relive heartache. And you're like, huh. You say, Brother Phil, what do I do? Every time I'm around this person right here, every time I'm around, they bring up fault. They bring up issues. They bring up their no peace in their life. You might have to step away from them a little bit. You might just have to. You say, Brother Phil, I live with them. You might have to take a walk, okay? You might have to do something. You might need to breathe in and breathe out and go outside and count to... Five billion or something like that, okay? But I want us to see some things this morning, this idea of peacemaker. First, I want us to see this, that true disciples resemble their father. True disciples resemble their father. I've shared this with you before. Anytime I get the chance to go back to Tennessee, if I get the opportunity to be around extended family, whether it's for a holiday or I bump into somebody um, in any of the, the towns that where we grew up at there, Murfreesboro and Smyrna, I bump into somebody, and I can't tell you how many times I have people that are older than me say, oh, man, you look just like your daddy. You look just like your daddy. If you're a child, which means you had a parent at some time, you probably resemble, at least in appearance, one of your parents. I tell you that I get that a lot. Oh, in fact, my dad, I told you he had a car lot for many years. His nickname was T-Bone. I don't know why he got that. But I walk around sometimes, and I can be in the middle of nowhere in Murfreesboro at whatever time at night, and I hear someone say, hey, little T-bone. 
by the way, that just fills you with joy by itself. You know, you want to be, I don't know if you ever want to be T-Bone, but little T-Bone just sounds even better. I've noticed, too, some of my parents' generation gets on Facebook more. And um, the other day, I had a picture or something was on of me and some of the kids. And someone replied to us, man, there's little Danny. Now, first off, I'm like, who's Danny? Because I never grew up grew up calling my kids by calling my parents by their first name unless I was running away from them very quickly you know like hey you just man you look like Danny ain't no denying whose kid you are and I believe what Jesus is teaching here is that we should resemble our heavenly father by the way we live when people look at us when they listen to us you say brother Phil uh I want to resemble God. I'm here today, and I want to resemble God. But can I tell you, if we want to see how to become a son of God, we've got to look at some passages of Scripture and here in just a moment. But can I tell you, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, can I tell you something? It don't matter what you do. You're never going to resemble Christ until you have a relationship with Christ. See, Jesus is constantly beating on these uh, Pharisees. It's not by works of righteousness. It's not by works of righteousness. That you know what, you can never, ever be a peacemaker until first you have peace with God. And you're never going to be called the Son of God until you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You're never going to be called a daughter of God, if you will, until you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need, I implore you today, more than anything else, desire to be a child of God, desire to be a son of God. I'm going to read some different verses to you here. John chapter 1, verse uh, number 12 and 13 talk about the idea of being a son of God. John chapter 1 verse 12 and 13 say, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. But you know what it says? You know why they got to be called the sons of God? It said because they received him. They received him. And I know I do this each week. Say, Brother Phil, you talk about salvation each week. Can I tell you what? Without salvation, nothing else matters. It doesn't matter. But have you received Christ as your Savior? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Do you have that relationship with Him? You don't have to turn there, but Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 says this, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Now, there's something important in Galatians 3.26 you need to understand. Because there's a big theory that goes around today that says, we all God's children. No, we're not. It says, for we are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Can I tell you today, if you're a child of God, you're a son of God, a daughter of God, it's not just because God created you, it's because God saved you. It's by your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we in the South especially got all kinds of little terms and, and ideologies that we love to think, oh, we all going to heaven. We all just the children of God. No, we're not. We're all the creation of God. We're all made in the image of God. But he says here that to become a son of God, to become a child of God, if you would, if you understand what I mean when I say son, what he's saying here is this. It's by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in Christ, in Christ alone. It's not in your church membership. It's not about getting wet in the pool out there. It's not about dropping money in the plate. It's not about cussing less and, and praising God more and being a good mother or father or what a Christian's supposed to do. It's about faith in Christ, in Christ alone. That's it, period. That's what it is. That's the importance of the thing we need to understand. 
Turn, if you would, to Romans chapter number uh, 5, if you would. Romans 5. Say, Brother Phil, you're taking some time about this, about talking about being a child of God or being a son of God. Well, as I mentioned earlier, until you have peace with God, you can never be a child of God. In Romans chapter number 5, and by the way, Romans, what a wonderful book about salvation. I tell you, you can live in Romans chapter 5 a long time talking about the grace and goodness of God. But Romans chapter number 5, before you even get to the verses that we know, like verses 6 and verses 8, talk about how God demonstrated his love for us. But if you look in verse number 1, this is where it started. Therefore, Romans 5, 1, therefore being justified, there it is, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. By whom? That's still talking about Jesus. Also, we have access, again, by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. It says, you know, I can rejoice that one day heaven is going to be my home. It's because of Christ and my faith that I have in Christ. And because of my faith I have in Christ, because of your faith that you have in Christ, you can rejoice in the grace that it is to be a child of God. You can rejoice in it. You can have joy in it. And Jesus is saying there in Matthew chapter 5, verse number 9, talking about talking the idea, blessed are the peacemakers. And that's for people who have already become the children of God. Because you know what he's saying here? If you're truly a disciple, and by the way, there's a difference between being a disciple of Christ and also just being saved. Say, what do you mean? Someone that's saved has a relationship with Christ, but does not live a way that's pleasing to Christ. Disciples are the ones that are not just the multitude, but the ones that follow him. You may be here today, and you may be saved, but you may not be a disciple. You may not be doing, as he's talked to Peter, follow me. Follow me. Now you say, Brother Phil, if I'm saved, does Christ desire me to follow you? Absolutely. But he says, hey, if you're a disciple, if you're truly a disciple of Christ then you know what? You're going to have the character of your heavenly Father. And we know from Scripture that God the Father is a God of peace. We're not going to look at these verses, all of them, but 1 Thessalonians 5.23, talk about how He's a God of peace. But I will tell you, if you're still there in, in Romans, flip just a little bit further. And I, I almost didn't read this passage, but I love it so much in Hebrews. If you get to Hebrews, <clears throat> talking about He's the God of peace, Hebrews chapter 13 is the last chapter in the book of Hebrews is right before you get to James. If we want to see how to become a son of God, we look at these verses about putting our faith in God. But what Jesus is saying here is those people, when you become sons of God, become children of God, they have the character of the Heavenly Father. And we know that He's a God of peace. This passage of Scripture in Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 20 and 21 were some of the benediction prayers that my father-in-law would pray after almost every time he preached. And I can still hear him closing in prayer, saying these verses, quoting them from memory from his heart. It says in verse number 20, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Can I encourage you today, don't read the end of some books of the Bible and just look at them as just a goodbye. Look at the meaning, the meat, 
the content that's there. And as Paul, who I believe is the author of Hebrews, he's closing this book, he's saying, now the God of peace, how is he that God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus? How is he the God of peace, that great shepherd of the sheep? How is he that God of peace? Because he made it through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Why? That you may be perfect. Not sinless, but spiritually mature. That you go on to say in verse 21, why do we want to be like our Father, the God of peace? That our works might be well-pleasing in his sight. And how do you do all of that? Through the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you look at this, we see that he is a God of peace. We're not going to take time to read it, but in Luke 19, 38, it talks about the heaven is a, a world of peace. And we see that God is a peacemaker. I'll read one passage to you. Colossians chapter 1, verse 20 says this. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether there be things in earth or things in heaven. Can I tell you, as you look at Scripture, can I tell you that we're supposed to resemble our Father because He's a God of peace? And He's a God of peace, as it says in Colossians 1.20, as I just read, He's made peace through His cross. He's made peace through what? Sacrificing Christ so that we could be reconciled unto Him. He goes on to say in Second Corinthians, excuse me, yeah, in Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, now imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. You know what that verse is saying? You know what Second Corinthians 5, 19 is saying? You know what Colossians 1, 20 is saying? It's saying, even though as a human being, as a man, that my nature was to rebel against God and I'm worthy to be eternally condemned, nevertheless, God sacrificed his own son. Why? So that we can have peace with God. Why do I need to be a peacemaker? Because he's a God of peace. Why is he a God of peace? Because he went through everything so we can be proclaimed free, not guilty, clean. So he could be clean. And he did that. And God's strategy in all the scripture was this. Let me provide peace between God and man. And if I'm going to resemble my heavenly father, if he's a God of peace, I ought to be a pastor of peace. A husband of peace. A father of peace. A friend of peace. I ought to be known as a person of peace. But if he desired that lasting peace between fallen man and himself. And get this now. I believe he desires for us to have that between man and man. If God went through all he went through and sacrificed his own son so that we can have peace with God, don't you think he desires for us to have peace with our fellow man? I think he does. And this is hard. This is not easy. It's not feel good. But when you look at this passage of Scripture, God's children have the character of their father. And what he loves, they love. And what he pursues, they pursue. And you can know his children by whether they're willing to make sacrifices for peace like, Jesus, like God did through Christ. Think of the sacrifice of Christ to make peace with you. 
Think of the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. Think about him being stripped naked and beaten and a crown of thorns placed on his head and being hit with a rod. You say, Brother Phil, it's not Easter. We don't need to talk about it. May we talk of the sufferings of Christ every single day that we live, lest we forget all that he has done for us. May the God that created everything and spoken into existence have a blindfold put on him and men slap him in the face and say, if you're really God, who was it that hit you? To mock him. To beat him. To take his beard and to pluck it out. And it talks about over in the book of Isaiah, his visage, which means this. When he actually got to the cross, he was not beautiful to look upon. That by the time they were through beating him, you wouldn't even want to look at him. You would look at him and just, ooh, it's almost grotesque to even look at him. And if Jesus was willing to do that sacrifice, to put peace between us and him, why is it that I won't a lot of times sacrifice anything to make peace with me and someone else? Why won't you? If we're going to resemble our father. Not just resemble our father, but the ultimate goal of what? Perfect happiness. Perfect happiness. So you see why it's so important for the children of God to be peacemakers. Because it's the spirit of God that's made us the children of God. And it's the spirit of God that is the spirit of peace. And can I tell you this morning, if you're a child of God and you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, and you're not willing to make peace, can I tell you what you're doing the Holy Spirit? You're quenching him, you're strangling him from working and doing what he wants to do in your life. You're literally strangling joy and happiness out of your life whenever you do it. Not only do we see disciples resemble their father, but we see the demonstration of being called a son of God. Now, if you're back there in Matthew chapter number 5 and If you would, flip over just a little bit towards the very end of the chapter, around verse number 43, if you would. Talking about the demonstration of being a son of God. The demonstration, or how do I do it? How is it demonstrated? How does it look? See, because the second half of Matthew 9, it says, And we shall be called the children of God. That points us to Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 45. That shows us how we can do it. Both of these texts give great insight on how we can show ourselves and show this world that we are children of God. Look in uh, Matthew 5, verse number 43. It says, Ye have heard, this is Jesus speaking, Ye have heard that it hath been said that thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. Now, if you're like me, I hear something, and I something I'm thinking, hmm, I know this is something I'm supposed to do, but I really don't want to do it. There's no initiative. There's no incentive, if you would. What's the incentive of doing what he says in verse 43 and 44? The answer is verse 45. Did you notice that? That ye may be of your Father which is in heaven. That means this. If I want others to call me a child of God, I've got to be a peacemaker. I've got to be a peacemaker. I have to do it. And if you notice in this text, he says here, what does he say? Love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. And 
And if we do that, then we'll be the sons of God. You say, Brother Phil, okay, how, how do I, how do I in this passage here that you're talking about, how do I demonstrate uh, that a child of God? How do I get what he talks about here in verse number 45? How that you, how can I be known as a child of my father, which is in heaven? I don't know if you noticed in verse number 44 of Matthew 5 there, you know how you do it? You pray for those that persecute you. Look at the end of the, look at verse 44. Verse 44 is a lot. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and look, and pray for them, which not only despitefully use you, but persecute you. You say, Brother Phil, you telling me I need to pray for those that persecute me? I need to pray for those that make my life difficult? I need to pray for those? What do you want me to pray? Brother Phil, I got no problem praying for them. I got to pray for them to go away. I pray them that they will reap whatever it is they've sown. I pray for death. I pray for that. I'll tell you what I pray. But no, no, that's not what Jesus is saying here. See, what am I supposed to pray for? How am I supposed to pray for those people that are my enemies? Pray for their salvation. They may not be saved. And if they are saved, and I will dare say there's a lot of times that Christians are enemies of other Christians more than a lot of times the world's the enemy of Christians. You say, Brother Phil, I can't pray for the salvation they already claim to be saved. Pray for their sanctification. Say, what does that mean? That means set apart. That means closeness to God. Pray that God will do whatever it takes to draw them closer to himself. Say, Brother Phil, that's awful hard to do. I know it is. Jesus knew it would be hard for us to do it. But Jesus knew it's the only way that we can have peace within is by giving, by being a peacemaker. You say, Brother Phil, what about these things? I have several of these underlined in verse 44. I have the word love. I have the word bless. I have the phrase do good. And I have the verse pray for. But can I tell you something? It's kind of in reverse order there that you know what? If there's somebody I'm not willing to pray for, I'm not going to be willing to do good to them. If I'm not willing to pray for them, I'm not going to be willing to bless them with some way. And if I'm not willing to pray for them, can I guarantee you I'm not loving them the way God's told me to love them? A lot of us think, well, I'd love to do verse 44, but I can't get past the love. I tell you, you ever pray and ask God to give you a heart for somebody that wasn't lovable? That didn't want your love? That was your enemy? And he says here, pray for them. Pray for yours and pray for pray for his and pray for your your purity and your and your walk with God that there might be peace there. But not only pray for those that persecute you. Look in verse on down a little bit, verse number forty seven of Matthew five. And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publican so? You say, Brother Phil, okay, okay, I'm gonna try to pray for him. <laughs> but you tell him there's something else you gotta do? Yeah. Verse 47 says that simple phrase, if you salute your brother. You know what that means? Greet him. Say, what do you mean greet him? Oh, I got, I got a real good idea how I can greet him. I will greet them with five fingers of fellowship right now, Brother Phil. And if they get back up, they got friends. I will greet them. That's not what it's talking about. What Jesus is saying here is this. In other words... If there's a fracture in one of your relationships, or if there's someone who opposes you, don't nurse a grudge. Don't nurse a grudge. There's so many Christians today that are bitter, and they don't even know they're bitter. You know why? Because they make it look good by saying, well, I'll just hold a little grudge against them. No, you're bitter. You're bitter against them. And don't nurse that grudge. 
Don't feed that animosity by doing this. You say, why do I need to greet them? Because ignoring them and avoiding them all the time is not the answer. It's kind of like this. You're in church or you're going down the road. And, oh, there they are. I'm going to walk across the street here to make sure I don't tell them hi. They come walking in church. Well, I'm going to go to the restroom right now during handshaking time. Or I'm going to do this to do all that. We, go, we work hard sometimes not to greet people. We go out of our way. And can I you say, Brother Phil, sometimes ignoring it's the thing you can do. And I understand that. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But that's not, avoiding them is not the impulse of the spirit of a peacemaking God who sacrificed his son for us. God didn't ignore me. God didn't ignore my sin. God greeted me. God came to me. By the way, people that says, well, I found God. Can I tell you something? You never found God. God revealed himself to you. God's always been searching for us. God's always been looking for us. Can I tell you what peacemaking tries to do? It tries to build bridges between people. Not burn them to the ground. Not make it worse. It doesn't want that animosity to remain. It wants reconciliation. It wants harmony. And so it tries to show that maybe the only courtesy, you say, Brother Phil, they, wouldn't, they don't want me to spit on them if they're on fire. They don't want me. Well, maybe the only courtesy maybe they would tolerate from you is maybe just a greeting. Because here's what the peacemaker does with somebody that's an enemy. He walks right up to him and says, Good morning, Phil. He doesn't go up with phoniness, by the way. We've got enough phony and fake people in the world. We don't need any more Christians being that way. But it's looking somebody in the eye with a peacemaking heart that says this, good morning, with a heart and desire that says, I want to reconcile. It may hurt, but I want to make it right. I want to make it right. I don't want to be phony. It's not got this fake politeness. Now you say, Brother Phil, I have no problem. I walk up to him and think, oh, it's so good to see you today. How are you doing today? You look glorious today. You're wonderful. Walk away. If I could stab that person in the back, I'd unstab them 15. It ain't being that way. But can I tell you, don't be fake, but don't run away from it. Don't run away from it. Be, be willing to greet. Be willing to do those things. But we also see a desire for peace. So when we pray and we take whatever practical initiatives we can to make peace, it might stop, start something as simple as a greeting. But lastly, I want us to see this last point I have today is this. What happens when peacemaking doesn't work? You say, Brother Phil, uh, what do you mean this? Well, we all know as well as, I, as well as I do. You can try to make peace, but sometimes what happens when it don't work? What happens when that person doesn't want it? Am I constantly supposed to throw myself up to be humiliated? Am I constantly? No, you're not constantly supposed to do that. But what are we supposed to do in this situation? We don't always succeed. What do you do? I want to make you sure to understand something. Peacemaking doesn't always mean peace achieving. You say, well, I'm only a peacemaker. I'm only going to be blessed of God. I'm only going to be perfectly happy if I achieve peace. No, because you know what? That involves involves the other person too. Peacemaking doesn't always mean peace achieving. But a peacemaker longs for peace. He works for peace. He sacrifices for peace. If you would, flip to Romans, if you would, Romans chapter 12. 
And some of you here today might be feeling guilt in your life and guilt in your heart because of maybe something in your life, as you see in Romans chapter 12 here. And you feel guilt because of a situation or a circumstance or something in your life and you're just you're struggling because you want to make peace. You want peace to be achieved and you're trying to do it, but it's not accepted. It's rejected. And that attainment of peace may never come. And that's why Romans 12 verses 17 and 18 are so important. When you've been done wrong or others have done you wrong, look in Romans 12 verse 17 and 18. Recompense to no man evil for evil means don't give it back to him. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. That's a great verse by itself. In verse 18, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. What Paul is saying here, I believe, is this. That fracture in the relationship, that broken relationship, don't let that fracture that remains be your fault. Do everything you can, humanly speaking, to live peaceably with that person. Live peaceably with that situation. Because it's not always going to be accepted. I love to tell you sometimes in my life when I try to make something right with somebody, they said, Phil, we love it. Thank you. We, we, we've been waiting for this day for you to do that. Can I tell you probably at least half the times or more times or not, I went looking for peace and I never obtained it. And when my heart feels guilty and when I feel worthless and I keep, keep thinking of, man, I messed up, I messed up, can I remind you of something that you only need forgiveness? You don't have to pray every single day for that same sin that you've got it. You know, if God forgives you, that ought to be good enough for you. And some people, you're never going to get peace from them. But he does say in verse number 17, Why should I not recompense evil for evil? That I may be honest in the sight of all men. I've done everything I can. I've done everything I can. And I like how Paul helps us out. If it be possible, let's just be honest, sometimes it ain't possible. But don't let that be because of you of what you're not willing to sacrifice, what you're not willing to do, what you're not willing to be. And it raises a tough question. In my conclusion, I've had people ask me this. They say, well, Phil, is it your fault when you stand or take a stand for something that's right that causes division? You know, Brother Phil, is, is, it, is it wrong I know you said be a peacemaker, but is it your fault when the stand that you take is causing division? Can I tell you the answer to that question is no. Can I tell you, if you stand on what this Bible teaches and you speak the truth and you speak the truth in love, there's going to be division. Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace, but I come to bring a sword. And man will be divided against man, and father will be divided against son, and mother will be divided against child. You know why? Not because he's looking for division, but he says that my holiness and my truth will naturally bring some separation with people. Some of you sitting in this room, you had such wonderful fellowship with family and friends until Christ saved you. You had such wonderful fellowship and closeness until... Maybe not even that, but you got saved. They can tolerate you finding Jesus a little bit or getting a little religion. But now that you're trying to live a life that's pleasing to Christ, whew, you're divided. Some of you might even be divided in your own house. 
But can I tell you, you can still take a stand for God without compromising the Word of God. You can still take a stand for God and desire to be a peacemaker. You can still take a stand for God when others reject how you stand and will sit there and say, you know what, but I still desire to make peace with you. But we've got to remember sometimes it's just not possible with some people. That's why Matthew 5, Matthew 5 43 through 45, pray for them. That's why you pray for them. That's why verse 47, you greet them. You keep the channel of communication and the possibility for reconciliation open. You keep it possible. You make it possible for that. And Paul says, if it be possible, live at peace. And he says, there's going to be times in your life that's going to be hard. But as we look at this passage of Scripture, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Let me ask you, in the way that you've acted this week on your job, in your home, around people, at the restaurant, at the grocery store, in front of your children, would they look at you and say, by the way you act in adversity, they're a child of God. They're a child of God. For they shall be called the child of God. You know, I think a lot of times in my life, I live a very confusing life to other people. My children, I think, sometimes look at my life and get confused. My wife sometimes probably looks at my life and gets confused. People here that see me outside of the walls of the church see sometimes the way I act, and they probably get confused. You know why? Because of not being a peacemaker. Not being somebody that says, you know what, I'll sacrifice what it takes, even if it is my feelings, my desires, and my emotions. But do you want to be known as a child of God today? Do you want to be called a child of God today? First, you've got to have peace with God. Then you can have the peace of God. Let's stand together if you would. Father, I thank you so much for the day.